light of the world. He was that pillar in the wilderness and is to us the same. Then what does that mean? Well, Isaiah chapter 9, just as far as drawing on some Old Testament text that would allude to this. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the shadow, uh, they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Isaiah's really foreshadowing here what Jesus would say to the people. When we read the New Testament, and we read about how by nature our, our minds and our hearts are darkened, and how by nature we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son, we see these, again, Old Testament themes that, that come out. Psalm 36.9 also says this, speaking of God, For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. With you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Well, when we think about Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and passages like that, it talks about a people who were dwelling in darkness, a people who were walking in darkness. This metaphor of darkness is often used in the Old Testament, and it's no exception here, to just talk about people who walked in or dwelt in ignorance. Ignorance from the standpoint of they had no idea how to think in a way that was congruent with, in a way that was in line with God's thoughts. And that's where we are by nature. I mean, God tells us very clearly that His ways are not our ways, that His thoughts are far above our thoughts, as high as the heaven is from the earth. And so this condition that the world finds itself in outside of the light that God sends is a condition of darkness fumbling around in the dark, not really knowing where we're going, not really knowing what to make of this world that we live in and this life that we live. So Psalm 36.9 says that, that with Him, and it's, it's worth noting the, the, the language here, we could, we could skip over it if we're not careful, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Now, I think John is drawing from Psalm 36, 9 as he tells us, and maybe Jesus even quoting from this or at least alluding to it when he tells us in John 8, 12, that he who followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. 
Okay, wherever this light comes from, it comes from life. These two things are connected. Okay, so to be outside of darkness is to be alive. It's to have access to some kind of life. And then to be left in the dark is to be dead. Okay, that's consistent with John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, speaking of Jesus, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Well, again, the picture here, that in Jesus Christ was life. Psalm 36, 9, for with you is the fountain of life. Okay, And Jesus' life, verse 4, was the light of men. In your light we see light. What's, again, what's the, the picture here? Well, the question really is, who is God the Father's light. And John 8 and John 1 answer that. It's Jesus Christ. Now, practically speaking, we, we want to ask this morning, what does that even mean? What does that mean? Well, in one sense, it means this. and This is an umbrella of what we're going to look at. It means that only through the person and work of Jesus Christ can we see things as they really are? Other than that, we are left to grope around in darkness. Things will seem great to us that are really destructive. Uh, paths will seem uh, uh, spiritual to us that are really just darkened. We won't be able to make heads or tails out of what's going on in the reality, the spiritual reality that we live in outside of the life of Christ in us. So, practically speaking, what does it mean to walk in the light of life? What does it mean to walk in the light of life? So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to use this as our base text this morning. Um, to try to flesh this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 23 through 31. 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 23. It says, But we preach Christ crucified, Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. 
and base things of the world and things which are despised as God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him, that is, of the Father, are ye in Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So the question again this morning, what does it mean to walk in the light of life? Now, just to be clear, we could have organized this message in many different ways. Okay, but what I want to do is let the text in 1 Corinthians 1.30 organize our thoughts and give us a, um, a kind of a path to think about this. So what does it mean to walk in the light of life? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Christ has been made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Okay, so to walk in the light of life is for us to live in the light of the fact that Christ has been made these things for us. And we're going to break this apart. It means, number one, that Christ is our wisdom. He has been made unto us wisdom. And so for each of these, I'm going to give kind of a, a, a maybe a clarifying statement about what, how this relates to walking in the light and then try to, try to flesh it out. So walking in the light of life means that you're embracing the wisdom of Christ rather than the wisdom of man. Walking in the light of life means you're embracing the wisdom of Christ rather than the wisdom of man. Now, we mean this in a couple of different ways because the text means it in a couple of different ways. Number one, we mean it the same way that Paul means it in verse 23 when he says, or maybe I should back up to verse 22, the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto Greeks foolishness. You know, one of the ways that Scripture talks about itself and being useful in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says that the, the Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. Okay, what that means is the Scripture is able to make you wise concerning salvation. How is it that salvation is accomplished? Well, when we say Christ is our wisdom, part of what we mean is He's our answer to this question. Okay? Um, a lot of the mystical gurus say the answer to that is within you. You just need to look deeper inside of yourself. You need to find yourself. You need to follow your heart. You need to choose the path that's right for you. 
You need to live a virtuous life, a righteous life, a fulfilling life. You need to, and we say it's none of those things. The path to God comes only through the person and work of Jesus Christ. No matter how sincere you are, no matter how faithful you are, there is no other name by which any man comes before God in a saving way. It's only through Christ. And so we have to answer the question that really is posed to us. I think maybe we mentioned these two last week, but we want to know what is God like? What is God like? Well, if Scripture's our authority, that's where we have to look. And God tells us what He's like in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. So if you turn there, you'll find out that God's self-revelation, it it leaves us in a little bit of a quandary. Exodus chapter 34, again, the question is, what is God like as God reveals Himself to Moses In Exodus 34, starting in verse 6, it says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that by no means and will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. So the question is, what is God like? Well, in verse 6 it says that the Lord passed by before Moses and He proclaimed. Now, the word there for proclaimed is, is the same word that we could translate preached. God preaches Moses a sermon here about Himself. And what does he say? Well, we could really categorize it into two, two summaries. Number one, he is a merciful God who forgives sin. Number two, he is a God who will by no means clear the guilty. By no means clear the guilty. Okay, that's a problem for us, isn't it? Not only is it a problem for us, We need some light here. How in the world can it be true that at the same time, God is a God who is full of mercy and grace and patience and forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, and yet at the same time, He's a God who says, not not only at the same time, in the same sermon, I will by no means clear the guilty. Well, we know this about us. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 tells us that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. Okay? Which means we fit into the category of guilty. Okay? All of our righteousness, that is all of our attempts to be righteous, 
is just disgusting. It's an abomination before God. James chapter 2 verse 10 tells us we could keep the entire law and yet offend in only one point. And this is if we've violated the whole thing. So the question is, if we take Scripture as our authority and we take it seriously, the question is, how do you approach the God of the Bible who forgives iniquity and at the same time will not clear the guilty? How do you do that? How do you approach Him? And Romans chapter 3 gives us our answer. If you, if you turn to Romans chapter 3 for a minute... Follow along with me here. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ. Okay. How do we approach the God of the Bible who forgives iniquity but won't clear the guilty? Well, we approach Him by faith in Christ. That's how. Paul tells us in verse 20 that by the deeds of the law, that is by your own acts and, and, and your own works of righteousness, by your own um, um attempts at being faithful and at being religious and at being loyal and all those kinds of things, by your own actions, no man will be justified before God. And we know why. We just said it in James chapter 2, verse 10. Because you could keep the whole thing and mess up one time and you're done. But, he says... The righteousness of God in verse 21 without the law is manifested. So, so if we're thinking about walking in the light of life, then the first thing as far as wisdom is concerned as to how you approach the God of the Bible, you do not approach Him through the law. The righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That is, you do not bring God your righteousness, your works, your faithfulness, your anything. So what, what do we do? Well, we come to Him by looking upon His Son and trusting in His work on our behalf. As we think about what the New Testament has to say about what Jesus Christ has accomplished for His people, this is why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, that 
even though this is a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Greeks, we preach Christ. And it's because He has been made the wisdom of God. How could God reconcile the fact that He's forgiving and yet He cannot um, uh, uh, clear the guilty? By pouring His wrath due to your guilt out on His Son, Jesus Christ, and then pouring His righteousness on you. What does it mean to look to Him by faith? Well, it means that the only way we recognize, the only way that we could ever come to God in a favorable way is by looking on His Son and saying, there is my pardon. There is my righteousness. There is my forgiveness. There is my redemption. It's not found in um, a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's not found in a list of rules or laws. It's found in um, looking on the Son. Looking to Him by faith. You see, brothers and sisters, this is light. Why is it that the Jews stumble at this? Because they walk in darkness. Why is it that this is foolishness to the Greeks? Because they walk in darkness. But not God's people. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, to, to us who have received the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ, that's where we look. You see, this really is the light. This really is the answer to those who wonder, how can I be made right with God? You look to His Son. You look to His Son. You give up on your self-effort. You give up on your your attempts at self-improvement. And you look to Christ, acknowledging that I have nothing to bring to the table, but You've given me everything I need in Him. You remember what we talked about in Psalm 117 on Wednesday and even this morning. Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. This is God's one plan of salvation, one means, one source of salvation. And it is Jesus Christ that's for the Jew, that's for the Gentile, that's for anyone. And again, if I'm saying that in light of there's not one plan for a group of people over here and another plan for a group of people over here. All those who are interested in, who have been convicted of their sin and are seeking peace with God, there is no other way but through 
Jesus Christ. Well, if you're walking in the light of life, then that's where you are as it relates to salvation. The Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation, and they point you to the life and to the work of Christ. Secondly, if we keep going, as far as what it means to walk in the light of life, Scripture is also... We go to that Second Timothy passage again. Again, this is familiar for us. Second Timothy chapter three. Verse 15 says that the scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What does it mean to walk in the light of life? Well, it means that you're living your life under the authority of Scripture. Scripture is useful for doctrine. That's just teaching. Sometimes whenever we think about doctrine and we think about it from a... a, uh, uh, a church sense, we, we think about doctrine in the sense of, you know, five doctrines, the doctrines of grace or the, the, the doctrine of maybe repentance or the doctrine of, of whatever. But the word doctrine just simply means teaching. The Bible is good for teaching, teaching you how to think about life, teaching you how to think about life issues that you're going to deal with, teaching you how to navigate those. The Word of God is, is good or useful for bringing reproof. That is, bringing you to the place to where you're, you're willing to recognize I'm wrong in light of the light of Scripture. Okay? I'm, the, the Spirit has brought conviction in my heart. The Word of God is good for correction. Okay? So, you've been taught. You've been you've been uh, uh, convicted or reproved, and Scripture will get you on the right path. It will correct you, and then it's good for instruction in righteousness. That is training or discipline in righteous living, that the man of God might be perfect. That is mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, brothers and sisters, part of what it means whenever Jesus says, "I am the light of the world." That whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but in the light of life. Part of what he's saying there is essentially the same thing he said in Matthew 4, 4, when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but upon every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you're walking in the light, then you are serious about reading Scripture. You're serious about knowing Scripture. You're serious about living Scripture. Because you understand that Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, has spoken to us here. Someone says, well, you know, that's just a book that a bunch of men wrote that is full of contradictions and errors and 
Well, if that's your thought, you're still in darkness. Number one, you're not informed correctly about Scripture. But secondly, those who are walking in the lie, those who have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, have been given eyes to see and ears to hear, and their hearts bear witness that this is the Word of God. These are the words of life, or these are the words that we live on. In Psalm 119, 105, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, we live in the information age, don't we? I mean, there, there is no lack of information. It's been said that it used to be hard to discern what was going on because there was really no way to know what was happening worldwide. You think about days where the, you know, the, the Pony Express is how you got your information. You had very little access to what was going on in the world. Well, now you have so much access that it's almost impossible to figure out what's real and what's not. What's really going on? Whose opinion carries the most weight? Whose retelling of the story carries the most weight? We live in a world full of experts about everything, don't we? Many are self-proclaimed. How do we know? Well, for those who are walking in the light of life, this is your compass. This is how you know. This is what points you to your true north. He is our wisdom. That is, we look to Him by faith, trusting in His life, His death, His resurrection for our salvation, for our ability to approach God. And then we look to Him for wisdom as we seek to live our Lives. He is our wisdom. Number two, He is our righteousness. We're thinking about 1 Corinthians 1.30. God has made Him to be unto us wisdom. That's our compass. Righteousness. It's really our stability. If we're thinking practically here. Walking in the light of life means that you're trusting in Christ's righteousness rather than your own self-righteousness. You say, well, isn't that taken care of whenever we look to Him by faith? Well, if you've lived the Christian life very long, you understand that looking to Christ by faith is not just a one and done. We've got to live off of that. That's something you've got to do day by day, moment by moment. And when I say that, I'm not talking about um, the fact that your salvation is going to be somehow in jeopardy. What I'm talking about is trusting in His righteousness is a constant act of the will. We have got to constantly be coming back to this reality 
that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And when we are distracted from that, and when we fall off of that, then we are on shaky ground. Our, our lives become very unstable. Our, our, our emotional state, particularly, can become very unstable as our trust wavers. So look in Philippians chapter 3. This captures really what we're after here. Philippians chapter 3. So just as we said earlier, if we're going to come to God, we're not going to come to God through our own works. We're not going to come to God through our own faithfulness, our own righteousness. The law was given not to establish righteousness, but to expose sin. And the righteousness that we now have before God is a righteousness that comes apart from the law. And many times we can be settled on that as it relates to Conversion. But brothers and sisters, after conversion, that doesn't change. Your standing before God is still based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. So look what Paul says here in um, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. He says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Okay, so Paul's saying, I've given up and turned away from all these things as a source of righteousness. Now, did that mean that Paul just lived loosely and, you know, did whatever he wanted to do? And, and when conviction came, he just said, well, you know, good thing we have the righteousness of Christ. See, there's a difference in patterning your life after holiness, which we're going to look at next, because you love Him and you want to draw near to Him and you want to please Him. There's a difference in that and trying to live a holy life in order to be accepted by Him. So, we're talking about the latter. Paul says, I want to be found in Him, verse 9, not having my own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ. You know, even after you're converted, this is going to be an area where Satan is going to hit you again and again and again and again. So many people struggle with assurance of salvation because they have this idea 
Now, they wouldn't say it this way, but practically speaking, they have this idea that Christ gave them enough to get them going, and they got to finish the rest. Not so. Or maybe Christ gave them enough to secure what they needed for eternity, but they got to figure out the rest of it here in this life. It's not so. It's not so. Here's the truth. You and I will never be good enough in and of ourselves. We will never be good enough for God no matter how hard we try. That's true prior to conversion. And then standing in our own righteousness, that's true after conversion. You will never come to church enough. You will never read Scripture enough. You will never live holy enough to please God in and of yourself. He's never looking at you saying, on the basis of this, that, and the other, you're finally accepted into my presence. That's not the way God works. You're either brought into His presence through the righteousness of Christ, or you're cast out into other, utter darkness. That's, that's really the only two options we have. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Starting in verse 3, it says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, Uh, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul goes through kind of a similar... He he takes this pattern uh, more than once um, where he starts with, this is what we were. I mean, this is what we brought to the table. In verse 3, foolishness, disobedience, deception, serving different lusts and desires, pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and, and hating one another. This is what we brought to the table. This is the material that God started out with. And then he says, but after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, but according to His mercy. Here's something to nail down in your thinking. If you are walking in the light of life, then you recognize that not only prior to your conversion, but even after your conversion, 
the only entrance that you have ever had before God in a, in a reconciled way was initiated by His kindness. He chose you. He ushered you in. He took your filthy rags and replaced them with Christ's righteousness. And Ephesians chapter 1 tells us the reason that He did that is so that we might be before Him in love. That is, that we might have face-to-face fellowship with Him unhindered in glory. But it is so easy to get on the hamster wheel of trying to prop up some kind of self-righteousness before God in our day-to-day. Why would God ever hear me? Because He hears His Son, who's our mediator, who ever lives to make intercession for us. Why would God ever bless me? Because He's placed you in Christ, and it's through Christ that you've received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Why would God help me? Because He's given us the throne of grace where we can go with boldness and confidence to find help and grace in our time of need. Again, brothers and sisters, we're thinking about this practically. I don't mean from a doctrinal standpoint. We do believe in the imputed righteousness of Christ. That is, God has placed His righteousness on our account. But that's not just a one-time thing. When God looks at you... He sees you through the blood of His Son and you are declared not guilty. That means that our shame, our guilt, our defensiveness, all of that is taken care of if we're walking in the light of life through this reality that we have been covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Think about this practically from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 4. Now this, um, we're going to be looking at the first four verses here. And this is a great passage. When we struggle with the fear of man and when we struggle with paralysis from analysis, overanalyzing, looking inward way too much. This is a great passage for that. Look at what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. He says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not thereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Okay, so Paul says, you should think about or account us as the stewards of 
uh, the ministers of Christ, the stewards of the ministry of God. So he says, that's what I am. I'm a steward of the, I've been given this job of, of faithfully handling the mystery of, mysteries of God. Verse two, it's required that a man be found faithful. Okay. Well, that's a big thing to say. Okay. Especially if you're writing to uh, a church where you have some critics. And then he goes on. This is not a, it could be easy to look at verse three and think Paul has an arrogant, an arrogant spirit here, but it's actually a spirit of humility. Okay. It may, it, it looks the same, but it's, it, it's different. We'll talk about that. Verse three says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. I don't even judge my own self. Paul says, I don't care what you think about me. That's not a big deal to me. I'm not going to be controlled by that. I'm not even going to be controlled by, by other men's judgment. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to take the time to spend, uh, to, to, to spend a ton of time judging myself. Why? Well, essentially, this is what he says, because God's judgment is good enough for me. And God has judged me to be justified under the righteousness of his son. And I'm going to be as faithful as I can to the calling that he's given me. But I'm going to spend my time looking at Christ, not me. I'm going to spend my time looking at Christ, not you. He's not saying this in a flippant way. He's not saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you think. Essentially what he's saying is the same thing he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, when he says, I make it my aim to please him. And if I'm going to please him, first and foremost, that means I'm going to believe him. And this whole business of my standing before God has been dealt with in Christ so that I am freed up to do the best that I can and rest in God's judgment. Okay, that is God's perception. When we're saying judgment there, we're not talking about his punishment. We're saying God's evaluation of Paul. You see, his answer here is not one of saying, I know I've done this perfectly. I know I've been the perfect steward or whatever you want to say. The truth is we all struggle with disappointments. We all struggle with shame. We all struggle with insecurities. We all struggle with self. And God's answer to your struggle with self is Christ. His declaration of your standing with Him is based on Christ. You say, Brother Lewis, it sounds like a lot of the same. Well, it's kind of a different angle of the same. Okay, so your, your salvation is secure in Christ, but your standing with God on your day to day is secured in Christ as well. Third, okay, so we said for walking in the light of life, then Christ has been made unto us wisdom. We come to God through Him. And then wisdom, that is His wisdom, 
We are walking in His wisdom rather than man's wisdom. And then righteousness, that's our stability. Okay, We're not shaken off course every time we notice a new flaw in ourselves, every time we see an inconsistency in ourselves, or every time we are evaluated by somebody else. We don't live under the fear of man. We recognize that God's evaluation is what ultimately counts. And then third, He is, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, He is our sanctification. He is our sanctification. Now this is referring to our, our purpose. There's two parts of sanctification. Your positional sanctification, what we've been talking about, you are in Christ and you are secured in Christ. But then we have this practical sanctification that is growing into what God has redeemed you to be. So, walking in the light of life means that you're pursuing holiness rather than being conformed to the world. Okay? He is our sanctification. In His light, we see light. Here's a question for us. What is God's will for your life? What's God's will for your life? And that's a big question, isn't it? That's an important question. A lot of times we, we wish we had answers for some of the, the deep questions of life, and, and, and we really do have those answers if we take the time to get them to mine them from Scripture. But, but what is God's will for your life? Someone said, well, you know, I don't know. I'm interested in a lot of things. I'm interested in a lot of things. When I was little, I thought about being an astronaut. And that didn't work out. I don't know. I don't know. What is God's will for my life? Well, look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. The good news is God has already told us what His will is for our life, whether you're an astronaut or something else. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. What's God's will for your life? God's will for your life is your sanctification. Okay? Sanctification. It just, just simply means your holiness. It means that God has set you apart. That's, that's really the, the root meaning of this word. God has set you apart for a purpose. God's will is this. You're being set apart. Now the question is, what is God's purpose for your life? Okay? What is God's purpose for your life? Well, Romans chapter 8 tells us that. In Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. 
Now we've said this about Romans 8:28 before, but I'll say it again. One of the sometimes we can we can get off and misunderstand what all's being said here because we miss the connection. All things are working together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Okay, our good is tied to his purpose. Okay, how do we figure out what's good or not? Well, it's not by how it feels. It's by how in line it is with His purposes. What is His purpose? Verse 29. For them, I'm sorry, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. What's God's purpose for your life? That you would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. God's will for your life is that you would be sanctified. God's purpose in sanctification is that you would become a whole lot less like you and a whole lot more like Christ. John 17, 17, Christ's prayer, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Well, those who are walking in the light of life are pursuing sanctification. Or we could say it this way. They are dwelling in the Word and the Word is dwelling in them. If Christ prayed that the Father would sanctify us through truth and His Word was truth, if we know that the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to conform us into the image of Christ, then part of what it means to be walking in the light of life means that we are regularly reading, studying, meditating on the Word of God. There is, listen, there is no path to Christ-likeness outside of the Word. You're not going to go set out somewhere and have sweet meditations about nature and be conformed to the image of Christ. That's not the way that works. The Holy Spirit uses the Word to transform your heart and your life to become more like Jesus Christ. This happens as Ephesians chapter 4. I'm not going to turn there, but Ephesians chapter 4 verses 21 through 24 lays out. This happens as we pursue holiness by putting off the old man, being renewed in the spirit of our minds and putting on the new man. What does that mean? Well, putting off just simply means that we're repenting as you're in the Word. And the Word brings conviction. You're putting that off. You're turning from that. You're being renewed in your mind. It really just means that you're growing in faith. Your mind's being transformed. Your thinking is being transformed. And then you're putting on the new man. That is obedience. Well, that sounds like a lot. Well, the good news is you got the rest of your life to do it. Okay?
This is your purpose. This is what God has called you for. This is where you're headed. Now, to be sure, as we think about growth, it's incremental. You're not going to go from dead in your sins to alive in Christ to completed in the image of Christ all in two days. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 tells us that we're transformed from glory to glory, one degree of glory to another. Small incremental changes, slow and steady. You know what that means, though? That means we have to be walking. It means you have to be walking. Christ says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but in the light of life. Now we've got one more left that we're going to look at this afternoon. We look at redemption. But if we're walking in the light of life, that means we're walking in His wisdom. It means we're walking in His righteousness. That means we're pursuing sanctification. So may God bless us. Those of us who have come to know Him, love Him, may God bless us to walk in the light of life. For those who are still on the fence, or maybe those who are still in darkness, I want to encourage you that your pursuit of wisdom, your pursuit of righteousness, and your pursuit of holiness outside of Christ will land you flat on your face. He's the light of the world. Follow Him. Look to Him. And walk in His light. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, that in His light we see light. And in His life we have light. Father, we pray that You would take these words and that You would apply them to our hearts. Pray that You would bring forth fruit and that that fruit would remain. Also pray You would bless our fellowship and lunch and bless our time as we gather together afterwards this afternoon. In Jesus' name, Amen.